0: And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, my friends, today I'm going to discuss a rather disjointed argument for the fact that The ability to be successful in many, many areas comes down to your ability to decipher, to understand the information in that area necessary to make the right decisions and your accumulation of the correct information. So what I'm trying to say is is that People want to think, they want to believe that there's a secret sauce. They want to believe, for instance, that there's a secret real estate trick. There's tricks, there's secrets, there's things. You can read them in a book, you can pick them up over the internet, and that those little things will be what is necessary to become successful. And I'm here today to suggest that that's just not the case is that there are millions of little tricks that we use every single day in investing in real estate and in or everything else in life. And that none of those tricks will do you any good at all if you don't have any basic common sense. Or if you have basic common sense, but you don't have an understanding of numbers and finance and business, then you're going to be weak in that area also. So in other words, what I'm basically going to do is bum you out about even trying to do anything. Now, I know it's going to sound that way. What I'm really trying to share with you is that the reason that I'm massively successful and that other people that are massively successful are so is because they've mastered a modicum of basic common sense and the ability to look into a situation, even though you don't know the answers, to at least be smart enough to ask the questions. Many of you out there are pessimists, like I am. I'm a skeptic by nature. Born in Missouri. It's called the Show Me State. I believe none of what I hear and only half of what I see. That's a nice little funny quip, but it's pretty much true. You can tell me that the left is saying this, and I'll say they're lying. And you can tell me the right is saying that, and I'll tell you they're lying. And I believe that both sides are lying about about 90% of everything they tell you. That's just the way I see it. Because I can prove that in both sides, they're wrong. They're exaggerating, they're overemphasizing, they're not giving you all the facts, they're only giving you the ones they want. Or, in other words, they just obfuscate. They just don't even focus on it. So if you go to one set of facts over here in CNN, they're talking about COVID. And you go over here to Fox, and they're talking about the failure in Afghanistan. The CNN guys are talking about the failure of the Republicans, and the Fox people are talking about the failure of the Democrats when the reality is there's enough blame to go around and that both sides are pretty much dumb as a rock when it comes down to your basic, common-sense decisions. These guys just don't care. And just because you're elected into an office doesn't mean you're smart. I also want to share with you just because you're a CPA doesn't mean you're smart and just because you're an attorney doesn't mean you're smart. And by the way, what do you call the last guy in his medical class in college? Doctor, there can be... Dumb as a rock, people, as doctors. So today, I've got a lot of information here, and I'm going to go through some of it really quickly because it's pretty obvious the point I'm trying to make with it. And then the rest of some of it, I have to go deeper, in. and some of it, I'm just going to blow some time on it, because I want you to understand how deep the lack of common sense goes. It's really important. So, I'm going to start here with the first one. It's a question that comes in. And then, by the way, I'm using no names. I'm going to try to use as few locations as I possibly can, because I don't want to embarrass these people. And I'm not insulting these people. You may think I'm insulting them. What I'm saying is, here's some basic common sense that needs to be looked at. First question. Good afternoon, Dell. My name is Blank. I've been listening to your radio show for a few weeks, and I'm really intrigued I've signed up for your online workshop next month, but my biggest concern about getting into real estate is that I have no savings. Is there some way to get into real estate without having thousands to throw down, or am I out of luck until I have some savings? Now, this, on the surface, is a very logical question for the gentleman to ask. I think it's a gentleman. I don't even know if it is. It's a very logical question for this person to ask. But common sense says... And that's what this guy is reading to you, is what he's saying to you. common sense says, you've got to have money to do this stuff. And the answer is, commonsensically, yes, exactly. Why would that ever even become in question? How do you buy real estate with no money? Now, let's foggy the thing up a little bit here. Let's kind of mess it up. We talk about buying houses zero down. I bought an apartment complex with 27 credit cards as the down payment and assumed a loan. So we tell you all these strange, crazy workarounds that we've come up with in 30 years of doing real estate, but those should not be taken as the normal example. You have to actually know the facts around what you're trying to do, and those facts change everything. So in this particular case, when the guy says, can you get in with no money down? Depends. What if you had perfect credit and you had ability to borrow money against something else? Then you could with no money. You have no money, you could still do it. Does that mean it'd be the right thing to do? Not necessarily. So what I'm trying to get you to see is this is a very complicated thing. There is what you would think is just the right answer. But at the same time, I've seen people buy houses nothing down over and over and over again. Would I say that that is the norm? In this day and age, probably not a year Two, three years ago, that was the norm. We did it all the time. So, the marketplace changes. So, even that which is, is effective, even that which is right, can be no longer right. And so, again, you have to be able to look at this stuff with some basic common sense, but not only basic common sense. You have to have some deep background knowledge. And that's where mentors come in. We look at this stuff every single day for 30 years, tens of thousands of clients doing tens of thousands of transactions, and when we can look at something, we can go, I know what is prevalent right this moment, but I know one trick or two or 20 that we did in the last 30 years. And so in this particular case, the answer here, which is so obvious in common sense terms, you must have money to buy real estate, is not actually the whole answer. In most cases, it would be. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is very complicated, and it's going to have to be, it's not going to be able to get it in this segment, but I want to do it, so I'll start it and give you the background, then I'll come in with the details in the next segment, because there's no way I can get all the details in. But the basics here is that one of our daughters is living with her boyfriend, and they came across an opportunity to purchase a home that they're living in from a family member, from the grandmother. And the grandmother's going to give them what I would consider a great deal on the house. Now, they've been living there for six months to a year already under the guise of, well, you can live there if you just fix it up for me and take care of it. So they've been fixing it up, and they've got their money and their time invested into the house. So they've got an emotional attachment to the house, and the family has an emotional attachment to the house. But they finally decided that they wanted to buy something, so they own something. And so they decided to go together and buy it from the grandmother. Today, we're discussing issues that are much more complicated when you dig into them than what they appear to be on the surface. The one we're working on right now is a, a young couple that decide that it's a wise thing to go ahead and buy themselves a piece of real estate. Instead of renting, they've got an opportunity to buy. In addition to the opportunity to buy, they have an opportunity to buy from one of the two's grandparents and buy it at a substantial discount. The house, basically, they're paying 60000 for it, but it would be worth about $180,000 if they had it appraised, if it was fixed up. And so they're buying quite a bit of equity into the house. They intend to do whatever fix-up there is as, you know, DYI-type stuff, do it themselves, and uh, then have, you know, a great amount of equity stuck inside of this home. They were able to put some money down, each of them, so they each have some money in the deal, and they are signing a note, and they're both signing the note, and the deed is in both of their names. So, in the surface, it seems like, well, that's pretty clear. They both own the house, they both have money in it, they're both paying the mortgage payment. Pretty simple, right? Except for what if? And there's a thousand what-ifs in this world when you have people combining together to do things. And what you need to understand is in this situation, there are all kinds of complications. The first of which is you're buying the property in a way that you should never buy a piece of real estate in your life. Tenants in common. That means I own all of it and you own all of it. Neither one of us owns half of it. We each own all of it, meaning you can't tell me what to do with it. I can't tell you what to do with it. And so there's really a stalemate from the very beginning as to what and when and where and how the deals should be dealt with. Think about like having a baby. You have a baby and now you want your half of the baby. You can't cut the baby in half and take your half and the other person get the other half. You have to lose your baby to one person or thy other It cannot be cut in half. That's what tenants in common are. So you should never own that. How does this always happen? It always happens in family situations where people give their kids, five kids, ownership in a house and they can't get out of the ownership because four of the kids want to sell the house and one kid wants to keep it to live in. And the one kid has as much rights as the other four all put together. There's absolutely no way you can undo that mess because you own all of it, each one of you, no matter how many people are on this deed. So it's a terrible way to buy real estate, all right? But there's even more problems with that. What if they decide that they want to break up? How do they get out of this deal? They've got a loan on the property, which they didn't qualify for. What do I mean by that? It's not a traditional loan. It's from the parent, the grandparent. So if they wanted to go refinance the property or whatever, they've got both of their credits hooked up on this thing. It could ruin both of their credits or either one of their credits in this situation. And for them to go get another loan, it would be a little bit complicated because they would have to show that this this loan is getting paid off. It's the only way they could really do it. But there's really more than that. Let's talk about right from the very beginning. What is the agreed upon starting value of the house? Let's say today we close, we go home, we get in a big fight and we break up. What is the value of the house today we bought it? Is it the 60000 we paid for it or the $180,000 worth of appraisal value? And is it the appraisal minus the rehab necessary to get there? What do we each have in it? Do we each have the 15000 we put in it to put $30,000 down? Both of us owe 30000 on a note. So what is the house really worth if you were to break up today? Do you go by an agreed-upon value? If you are, that's fine, but you need to agree upon it before you go into it. This is what it's worth if we break up today. Number two, who gets the home? Well, the kid whose grandparents gave it to them, they're going to think, well, this is really my family home. You can't have it. But at this point, it isn't your family home because you each have bought it and have a deed of trust with both your equal names on it and both of you have a mortgage you're both equal in. So who gets the home? Who moves out if you guys get in a fight? And how long do you have to move out and find some other place to live? How do you get one person off the note? How long do you have to get them off the note? So in other words, even if you can agree, okay, I'm leaving and you're keeping the house, but I want my money back and I want off that note, how do they do it? How long do they have to do it? And what if they just say, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to let you be hung out on that note. You owe on it too. And by the way, the note is what we call joint and severable. Joint and severable means Both of you own all of it. You don't each own half of it. That would be two different notes, two different deeds of trust, with each of you signing on each note. But no, this is one note. You're both signed on. You both owe all of it. So either one of you, if one of you turns into a crack addict tomorrow and ruins their credit, they ruin yours too. There's no way to get out of it unless you're willing to just pay all the note yourself and give away half of what you just paid for. It's an absolutely terrible way to buy a piece of real estate. Next. Does any of this change with time? In other words, when we first bought it, we thought it was worth 60000 because that's what we paid for it. But after six months from now, after we've done the rehab, now is it worth the appraised value? Or is it still worth the 60000 we put in it? And by the way, as we're renovating, who pays for all the renovation materials? How do we keep track of how much time each person puts into it? By law, it doesn't matter who pays for the materials. The materials now belong to the house, and the house belongs to both people. And it doesn't matter who puts in all the time to do the renovation because you're not paying them as a contractor. You're just applying that towards equity in the house. And there's no agreed upon how much one person gets from equity because of their labor. And maybe one person just says, I'm not working anymore. And the other person says, i got to get it done so we can get our money out of here. Have all the same questions you had before, what if, who has to get out, when, how, why, where, and how. All that changes. doesn't? It may change or it may not change. You may say, okay, for the first 60 days or 90 days before the rehab's done, it is my choice to get you out because my grandparents sold the house for the cheap price. But after we do all that and put all this money in, it's worth more. Now, I don't have those rights anymore. But somewhere along the line, you have to decide that because if you don't decide it in writing, then it is up to the courts to decide, which is going to basically say, you don't have any rights. you both own the House. The next thing is a simple little question. What state must anything that we argue over be litigated in? Say, well, of course it's got to be if the House is in Texas. It's got to be Texas. No, it doesn't. You could have this thing litigated in Florida. And so one of you could get mad and move and sue you from Florida, and you have to go to Florida to defend the lawsuit. So you have to state in there in all the documents that this will be litigated in Texas, Next, who pays the taxes, the insurance, and the HOA fees, and the mortgage payments while the legal process takes place? So who's going to pay for all that stuff? You haven't thought about any of this, have you? We'll be right back, because there's a lot more to deal with in just one simple little transaction. You allowed 15,000 members into your sandbox. Thank you, thank you. And so that speaks volumes. So for that, and as a family- So you know why I did that? Everybody always asks, why did you do this? Because I was an ugly kid. My parents used to have to put a pork chop around my neck so the dog would play with me. And so I always wanted to have friends, and I figured if I could make people rich, they might be my friend. Join Dell and his successful friends. Start with the free online workshop, Register at LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. Welcome back to the Delphiompton Radio Show. Today we're discussing how what appears to be a simple transaction on the surface can end up being a life-altering, life-changing, life-destroying circumstance in the future because there was no pre-thought put into what you're doing. In other words, people don't really understand how complicated life really is. And so they go out without getting mentoring, without getting legal help, without getting accounting help, and they just do stuff because they're emotionally decide that it's a great idea because somebody told them it was a good idea for some reason. Somehow it got it in their brain that it's a good idea. So we're talking about one of my daughters right now that is in a situation where she's living with her boyfriend. They want to buy a house. They want to buy the house from the grandmother. They're getting a good price on the house. But they didn't put together any documentation other than to buy it together on a deed of trust and a loan from the grandmother, which ties them together in every which way and no way to get loose. And I proposed a bunch of questions for them to answer to see if they'd even thought it through as to what the complications could be. And so I'm going through the questions with you. I'm only about halfway through. The next question is, who pays the taxes, insurance, HOA fees, mortgage payments, while, number one, you're living together. In other words, now that you're living together and you're going to do this stuff, who's going to pay all that stuff? Who's going to be responsible to make sure that stuff gets done? And number two, what happens if you break up? Who's going to be responsible to do all that stuff? And number three, whether you're together or you're broken up, what happens if the person responsible doesn't do it? What do I mean? What happens if they don't pay the taxes and now you have massive penalties and interest. Do both of you have to pay the penalties and interest because one guy didn't do what they're supposed to do? What about insurance? What if you don't get enough insurance, the house burns down and you lose the value of the house? You can't rebuild it. Do, Do you both lose that house? Or does the person that didn't do what they're supposed to do owe the other person money for wrecking their asset? See, these are all things that end up in court. You see them in every stupid TV court case there is out there because they weren't thought through. What about HOA rules? Let's say one of you becomes a drunk. You come home, you drive your car, you park it in the front you know, of the house on the, you know, in the grass, and you don't mow the grass, and the plants all grow over, and the HOA is just suing you. What do you do then? Whose fault is that who gets sued? And when the lien gets attached to the house, now you both owe for any and all of those problems are joint and severable, meaning you can't get out of it. What have you done to solve that problem? What happens differently if one party dies? If one party dies, does the other party actually have an asset that they can transfer to someone else? Can they share? Can it be inherited? And if so, whom can inherit it? And if you inherit that ownership, what can you do with it? Can you force the other party to sell? Can you force the other party to get a loan and buy you out? Or can they force you to sell and force you to be bought out? These are all things that have to be decided. Let's talk about just living together. What about disputes? If you're 50-50, you're, and you're not really 50-50, you're 100-100, you each own all of it, meaning you can't make a decision unless both of you make it. What happens when you disagree on how much you're going to renovate it? How much it's going to cost to renovate it? Who's going to do the renovation? How about upgrades? You know, hey, we need all new appliances. Who's, what? I don't want all new appliances, but I want all new appliances. Well, how do you decide on that? There's no 51% here. There's 100% and 100%. What about refinancing? Oh, I don't want to sign for more debt. Well, look, it's now worth $200,000. We can go borrow out $180,000, pay off the old loan, get rid of grandma, and have cash. But I don't want to be $180,000 in debt. But it's the right thing to do. I don't care. I don't want to do it. So you can't do it. Because you have no rights in this deal the way you have it set up. How about selling the house? You know what? Let's just sell it. No, I don't want to sell it. This is where I want to live. I put my hard earned sweat and broke my back and did all the work and I've got all this equity. I don't want to sell it. No, this is where I want to live for the rest of my life. You can't sell. We're not going anywhere. We're going to live in this piece of garbage, old house for the rest of our lives. Hmm. You want some simpler questions? How about what account is the mortgage payment going to be paid out of? Hmm. My account, your account, or a joint account? And if you have a joint account and you're living in the same location, you have joint account and you're living in the same location and you're in Texas, does that make you common law married? Hmm. Are you claiming common law married? If not, what do you have to do to prevent that status from occurring? Because it can just occur to you if you don't watch out. And do you have a personal property list? You realize that if anything you put into the house, stoves, refrigerators, dishwasher, anything that's built into the house now belongs to the house. It doesn't belong to you. You brought all that stuff in. doesn't mean anything. It's now part of the house. So do you have a personal property list of the stuff you brought into the house? For example, when we got married, I had a personal property list. My wife has a personal property list. She, well, why your wife? You own most of the assets. Hey, she's got hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry and purses and bags and shoes that I've bought her over the last 10 years as gifts. That's her stuff. If we didn't have a personal property list, I'd just say, hey, all that stuff is in my house. It's my stuff. And there's no way to prove it. You've got to have a personal property list. So you see... The point I'm making here is not that they're making a bad decision or not that they shouldn't do what they're doing or whatever. That's not the point. The point is people make these bad decisions in life by making decisions without thinking them through. And 10 years later, 20 years later, it comes back and bites them in the butt. And then I hear them 20 years later. You know, Dell, uh, I had a problem with my first wife and then we, we lost everything we had between us when we got divorced and then we fought over it and the attorneys took it all and then our kids and there was child support and there was alimony and then okay after that I lost my job and I didn't know why that because it was this and I became an alcoholic and, and you wake up at 45, 50, 60 years of age, your life is destroyed and it all started with buying a house with the wrong person. You could tell that's ridiculous. No, that's exactly the way it starts. And that's why I say even if you listen to a radio show and go, hey, you know, that radio, that real estate stuff sounds pretty good. If you don't have common sense, it doesn't do you any good that that stuff works because real estate investing does work. In fact, if you go back to question number one, the very first one we answer is: Can you do real estate with no money? You have to premise uh, you have to believe in the premise that real estate is not a job. Real estate is an investment. To invest, you have to have money. Now, can you make real estate a job? Yeah, you can become a real estate agent. You can sell real estate, get commissions. You can flip and wholesale stuff. But that's a job. That's not investing. So again, you can turn it into whatever you want to turn it into in your brain. But 20 years later of being a real estate agent or 20 years later of flipping and wholesaling, you're still broke. You don't own assets. You're not rich. And I see it all the time. Now, the next one I'm going to go into is just about as crazy as can be. and I have to read it to you because quite honestly, it's so crazy i I don't know if it's really somebody in a lot of pain, in other words, they really are that unable to see the reality of the world or. If someone's just bluffing me, I mean, this is just too bizarre to believe. But I got this email, and I won't say the name. It says, I'm going to move halfway across the country to be with a woman who has a pizza restaurant and paid for house. And she inherited it from her dad. She wants me to run the restaurant. I managed a pizza hut 50 years ago when I was a teenager. So that qualifies him now to manage this business, right? But I was an employee working for a corporation. I wasn't responsible for the building and knowing all the laws and regulations need to comply with it. She's been out of the country with the Army and has been away from home for two years. She's coming home this week. I asked her who has been running the business. She said a friend has been running it. I asked how much cash flow does the restaurant produce monthly? She said she doesn't know, but it's a lot. I suspect the friend has always been running it, and she has been hands off. I'm thinking that I need to get her listening to you and hope that she hears you say that We should work on the business, not in the business. I never took any business courses in high school or undergrad college. But how much do I need to know about accounting to know that the friend and the CPA aren't stealing the profits? She mentions a number that was a little under half a million dollars that we could invest. I intend to put the restaurant cash flow into real estate. So when you read the sentences, he's got a lot of good questions, right? He's got a lot of good questions that he's looking for the answers to. And he's also bringing up some very important points. Like he really isn't qualified to run this restaurant. And he really doesn't know what to do. But yet this woman is blindly going to trust this guy that doesn't know what to do to take her restaurant and $500,000 worth of money and go invest it. Today, we've been discussing issues that on the surface may seem simplistic. Once you dig into them, they become very complicated. And you have to be able to bundle a good amount of common sense with a large amount of basic legal and accounting and business information to be able to come across with a game plan that makes sense. Now, this last email that I've been following is very strange. Uh, where this people uh, had met, and the lady's asking this guy to take over her business and her money and her home and go invest it all for her. So I emailed back to him, very interesting to me, and it's curious. It didn't seem really logical that this would happen. I said, why would she want you to run the business if you don't have any business experience? How did this come about? And what is your relationship with this lady? How is she going to pay you for doing all this? And what will happen to the person that's running the business now? In other words, that person may own part of that business. She just can't give it to you. That person may sue you for termination of a business that they have a business a contract an agreement with. None of that's known. There's just too much here. Why would she do this? What is she going to pay you? Are you just going to be her lackey and do all this for her and she's going to make all the money? Or is she actually giving you the money? I mean, this is a very strange, almost scary situation. In fact, it is a scary situation. So here's what he wrote back, and this is when I knew that we had a real problem here said, I think she just doesn't want me to be idle. In other words, that's why she wants him to run the business. She doesn't want him to be idle, which means right now he's idle. He has nothing to do. So how is this guy supporting himself? Which starts to leave me to believe, is this guy scamming her as she's scamming him? Right? There's nothing about this that could be totally legit. There's got to be a scam in here one way or the other, and I can't figure it out. He goes on and says, we haven't met face-to-face yet but will Sunday evening. Okay, because I ask him, how did this come about? What is your relationship? He said, well, we haven't met face-to-face yet, but we will this Sunday evening. And then he goes on, but we are lovers and probably we will get married. There it is. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs meter goes off the hook. How can you have never met this person face-to-face and be her lover? How could you marry a person you've never met? is this guy in prison is this one of those prison relationships where you write to some guy that's a murderer because you feel sorry for him or you're just so out of it in the world as far as a normal human being that you have to go for that kind of a person I I don't get it, it goes on and says I've been curious how much I'm going to be paid she has kind of hinted that what is hers is ours in other words, he believes she's going to give him a million dollars worth of stuff, a business and a half a million dollars worth of assets, but has not stated it explicitly. I have wondered what will happen to the person running it now myself. He wonders what's going to happen to the person running it now. Maybe she's tired of it and eager for blank to come home so she can get out of it. I don't know who blank, I'm not going to use the name because I don't want to use names, but it's somebody's name. and maybe Blank will come home so she can get out of it. Maybe she's got her daughter running it. It might be the situation. Then it goes on and says, off the subject, where is the lifestyle's location closest to? And they give me a town out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is like way out in the middle of nowhere. Small town. So maybe these are just totally unsophisticated people. Bottom line. There's no need to have to beat up on these people. They might be fine people, but you know what? This scenario is a disaster, not even waiting to happen. It's a disaster in the process of happening, and nothing good can come out of this situation. If you listen to all the legal questions that I brought up earlier in the show about just buying one rent house together, can you imagine the 20 or 30- or 40-page scenario of questions I could put together about this scenario right here, about all the questions about how it's going to work, and why, and who, and how, and how much, and when, and what if. This is disaster. Yet people, for some reason, believe you can go into a life with a handshake. You can go into a marriage with never meeting the other person just talking to them over the internet or the phone. There is a lack of common sense out there, folks. I don't even care if you have a college education. You could have a college education and still be this far whacked out. I mean, literally, I don't know what else to call it. I can't even imagine someone telling me they're going to marry someone they've never met. Bar some religious thing where your parents pick your, your wife for you like other nationalities. Bar something like that where it was an arranged marriage. I have no idea how somebody could marry someone they've never met. And even in arranged marriages, they have meetups and they get to meet and they have dates with people around or whatever, you know. I just want you to think about this as just, just the tip of the iceberg of the kind of craziness that over the last 30 years I've had to answer questions to and try to make sense of really logical business ideas to people who can't even figure out commonsensical problems. Before I leave, there are two or three of you I told I would answer your questions for you today on the show. I didn't get to them. I will pick them up on the news bag next week. I'm sorry I didn't get to them, but this stuff, this was just too important to pass it by because it's just too obvious. How so many people end up 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age completely broke, completely destroyed as financial beings. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.